This archival program of Design Matters with Debbie Millman was produced for Voice America Internet Radio. New programs with better audio quality are now being produced for Design Observer. You can subscribe in the iTunes Store or at the Observer Media Channel on Design Observer. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. So, Martha was released from prison last night, just a wee bit after midnight, a flatbed truck situated outside her jail to allow for just the right angle as she departed. With a big smile and her daughter by her side, Martha Stewart said goodbye to West Virginia and is now home at her estate in Bedford, New York, where she will be under house arrest for five months. Looking a bit thinner and wearing a groovy poncho, high-heeled boots and jeans, a glowing Stewart exited an SUV at the Greenbrier Valley Airport located near the Alderson Prison. She was waving and smiling as she quickly walked to her private jet, and there was a small crowd, allegedly a group from the website SaveMartha.com, who had a countdown clock ticking down the seconds to her release, and they were there cheering for her. Stewart's official return to the public eye is big news. Even Larry King had a special show airing at midnight to record the big event, Minute by Agonizing Minute, hosted by it girl of the news media, Nancy Grace, and Martha appeared to relish the moment, a huge contrast to last October when she slipped by television crews and checked into Alderson unnoticed. According to CNN, upon arriving at the Westchester County Airport near Bedford, Stewart rode another dark SUV home. She did not make another public appearance, but in a statement posted on www.marthastewart.com, Stewart called her incarceration both life-altering and life-affirming. She said she was thrilled to be returning to my more familiar life. There is, she wrote to her fans, no place like home. She also told reporters that she didn't miss cappuccino, but she missed the idea of cappuccino. In May 2002, if you asked me about Martha Stewart of all, all of my responses would have been positive, said the marketing expert Robert Pasikoff, referring to the early stages of the Stewart scandal. But her open defiance after her 2003 indictment, as well as damaging testimony at trial, hurt her image considerably. It wasn't just that she was found guilty, she was also found to be mean-spirited. By going to prison early, Stewart turned herself from villain to victim, he said. The celebration of individuals and the concept of individual fame has been an aspect of society since ancient times. The term celebrity derives from the French word célèbre, please forgive the terrible French accent, listeners, to mean well-known or public. Uh, The modern-day conception of celebrity, that is, is an individual who is celebrated, is more aptly described in W.L. Prose's words, as a person who, by his or her accomplishments, fame, or mode of living, has become a public personage. They have, by their own voluntary efforts, voluntary in uppercase bold, succeeded in placing themselves in the public eye. The increasingly blurred distinction now between criminality and celebrity is fascinating. 
Americans, more than any other nation, seem to be obsessed with building up our celebrities and role models and then gleefully watching them falter. It seems that we need to be reminded that every aspect of human nature holds the potential to become its opposite. In the future, everybody will be famous for 15 minutes at Andy Warhol. It now seems that everybody that gets that fame will also get at least 15 minutes of scrutiny, notoriety, infamy, and even jail time. Most people know Warhol's little catchphrase, but most don't know that he later turned it around. He said, I am bored with that line. I never use it anymore. My new line is, in 15 minutes, everybody will be famous. Warhol was one of the first to recognize the nature of celebrity culture, its very shallowness and instant expendability, and how, in our global media age, fame is not exclusive. It is not the universal recognition of achievement anymore, but simply, simply a product of exposure. All those celebrities on reality television who get dumped in the jungle or wherever are simply people who have, for whatever reason, no matter how trivial, entered the goldfish bowl of visibility. They have a different kind of existence in this public dimension from that of the rest of us, or indeed, as J-Lo would say, from their private selves. But whatever protection privacy laws may grant celebrities now, they have surrendered something they cannot take back, their image and subsequently their brand. I, for one, feel that Martha got a raw deal, but I seem to be in the minority, or I used to. Her downfall seems now just a media opportunity to rebirth her in the same way that Puff Daddy reinvented himself after his trial, or Cher after her sad downward spiral into infomercials, or Kirstie Alley as simultaneously fat actress and Jenny Craig spokesperson or J-Lo with her current Rebirth album, to Prince Charles and his soon-to-be-new bride, or Marv Albert's reclaim to commentator acceptance, to Madonna's constant reinvention and rejuvenation, uh, to Liz Taylor's entire life, or Michael Jackson's face. There's a huge gap between the reductive cipher of the commodified individual appearance, the celebrity image, the celebrity brand, and the messy facts of private existence between the simplicity of the image and the complexity of the individual life. It is the gap where the paparazzi thrive looking for the weakness, the unguarded moment of when the human frailty peeks out from beneath the glossy surface. Human frailty seems to be what most celebrities don't tout, at least at the onset of their popularity, but if they don't reveal some humility at some critical time in their trajectory upward, or at best a review like, oh my gosh, she's so nice when people talk about Jennifer Aniston or Sarah Jessica Parker, the hunt begins. It seems like everyone wants to be famous now. Last Halloween, I was a um, fortune teller at some of my little friends for a Halloween party in grade school in New York City. And when I asked the kids, what do they want to be when they grow up, I would say a good 80% of them looked at me very sincerely and just said, famous. But with fame comes the recognition that you can't have everything, or it seems to in any case. If you as a celebrity don't know that, then, well, goddammit, the world will teach you that in a lesson. In a critical review of the show The Bachelorette in Wednesday's New York Times, 
And as a sidebar, it seems somewhat bewildering to this American that there even is a critical review of a show like The Bachelorette. Reporter Virginia Heffernan writes, in America, as a rule, love is what you get instead of celebrity. Celebrity is what you get instead of love. Too bad our current Bachelorette actually ended up with neither. But now, maybe Martha will end up with everything. Let's hope so. Or maybe she should wonder, like R. Kelly in his hit, I Wish. Hmm, I wonder how my friends would treat me now if I wasn't iced up with a Bentley and a house. With me to continue our talk about culture, celebrity, change, transformation, and how this impacts design and branding is one of the world's most interesting cultural anthropologists, Dr. Grant McCracken. We are here for part two of our conversation, and Dr. McCracken holds a Ph.D. from the University of Chicago in cultural anthropology. He's been the director of the Institute of Contemporary Culture, a senior lecturer at the Harvard Business School, a visiting scholar at the University of Cambridge, and he is now an adjunct professor at McGill University in Montreal. He's the author of eight books, including Culture and Consumption, Plenitude, Big Hair, and Transformation. He's consulted widely in the corporate world. He's a member of the IBM ThinkPad Marketing Advisory Council. And this spring, Indiana University Press will publish a new book, Culture and Consumption II, Markets, Meaning, and Brand Management. Welcome back, Grant. Thank you for being here again. Hi, Debbie. Thanks for having me. Sure. So tell me everything. What do you think of Martha? (laughs) It's <laughs> uh, a tough one, isn't it? Uh, the poor thing. But, you know, I was surprised uh, to hear myself give voice to that sentiment because, uh, you know, just a year ago I would never have felt anything like pity or remorse for her. So, indeed, it is a huge uh, opportunity. Whatever it means for her personal growth, it's, it's, it's a huge branding, repositioning opportunity. Not, nothing I hear in the press from uh, her, her new CEO, Susan Lynn, suggest that, in fact, they're going to step up to the opportunity. In fact, it sounds a little bit as if they're just going to pretend nothing happened, um, and that seems to me a, a problem because there's always going to be an elephant in the sound studio, and, 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 and it's going to be wearing prison blues for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, there's a very different uh, strategy now. It seems as if uh, with the departure of Sharon Patrick, her former CEO, uh, who I think was really uh, – pushing the brand towards less Martha Stewart, more lifestyle, uh, that this new CEO is now saying, hey, Martha should still be front and center and back and better and bigger than ever, so to speak. Yeah. Do you think she'll continue to play the doyen of taste, the the Connecticut uh, paragon of, of discernment sort of thing that she did before? Um, yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, the big news is that she's now more humble, that she's now um, more relaxed and more in touch with, you know, real people having spent the time in prison, that she's very much now in favor of prison reform and um, working with women in prisons and improving the conditions of prisons, particularly the food, which she had quite an issue from what I've been reading over the last five months. Um, I think that, you know, for me, you know, as as a possible um way of handling the original situation, I, I would have come out, given, you know, her big fans' awareness of her life, uh, people that read her magazine, people that read her columns and so forth, everybody knew that she grew up very poor, grew up, uh, you know, in a, a situation where she wore hand-me-downs and, you know, eat meatloaf every night, um, you know, albeit a great meatloaf recipe. Um, she had the opportunity to say, hey, you know what, I've always had these financial issues and I did a bad thing and I'm really sorry about it. She could have used it to her advantage, but she, you know, she held steadfast and um, didn't didn't do that. I, I, I don't know. I, you know, it's, it's you know, nobody knows, I guess, but Martha and her spin doctors. But I'm actually really glad she's out. I had a free Martha shirt. I wore it all the time. 
and, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what she's going to do. Why do you think there's been this um, this transformation of her character as she was away for five months? Actually, you know, I think that we're going to have to go to a break for um, a little bit. So probably prior to answering the question, Grant, if I could let our listeners know that they are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America. I'm Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the esteemed cultural anthropologist, Dr. Grant McCracken. We will be back with Grant answering this very big question after these messages. Um, We'd like you to please stay tuned and don't go away. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. Tune in every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for Big Business Marketing for Small Business Budgets. Big Business Marketing for Small Business Budgets is completely dedicated to helping small businesses thrive and be more profitable. On the show, learn leading practices for bonding emotionally with customers and securing lifetime loyalty. This one-of-a-kind talk show is hosted by Jeanette McMurtry, author of the book, Big Business Marketing for Small Business Budgets and John Cooper, veteran marketing and leadership consultant. Together, they will keep you up to date on marketing trends and how to create passionate customers for life. So log on to Big Business Marketing for Small Business Budgets with Jeanette McMurtry and John Cooper every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. The truth is that most Americans are truly misinformed about health-related issues. Do you know what your doctor is really charging you for? For the truth on what's really going on, tune into Life Lessons with Dr. Lawrence James Jr. every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. On the show, Dr. Lawrence James Jr. will discuss everyday social and political issues that affect you. So won't you please join Dr. Lawrence James Jr. for Life Lessons every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. You're listening to BusinessAmericaRadio.com on the SurfNet Radio Network. Brought to you by SurfNet Media Group. Publicly traded under the symbol SFNM. BusinessAmericaRadio.com Do you find that technology is hard to understand? Tune in each week to Tech Talk with computer geek John DeVore. Every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific, John will let you know what is new and upcoming in the world of technology, as well as teach you some simple things to help you use your computer to your advantage. From gadgets to gizmos and PCs to PDAs, tune in and get high-tech with John DeVore and Tech Talk every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific. Right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Are you tired of sitting on the bench? Are you ready to get in the game? Then join David Hayes and Jim Inman every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 Eastern for The Coach, exclusively on BusinessAmericaRadio.com. The Coach is a program by financial professionals for financial professionals. Know the techniques used on the field by top financial professionals for personal and professional success. Get off the bench and join the coach every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 Eastern, live on BusinessAmericaRadio.com. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. Welcome back to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you would like to be a caller on the show, dial toll-free at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, that's 
800-233-7861. And now back to the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 318 Eastern Standard Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the Empire State Building in New York City. I'm your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the brilliant and esteemed cultural anthropologist, Dr. Grant McCracken. This is part two of our two-part conversation, and if you'd like to join this conversation or have a question for either of us, please call 1-866-233-7861. Before the break, we were talking, Grant and I were talking about the culture of celebrity, and I asked Grant how he felt it was possible for Martha to have this cultural transformation uh, while being in jail and albeit being unable to work for those five months. So, Grant, what do you think? How did, how did this villain-to-victim personality or persona uh, come to be? Well, I guess we'll, we'll wait and see if, in fact, that's the transformation that that's true. Took, yeah. took place. But uh, I guess one of the things that strikes me is that she was removed from her celebrity by an act of the courts and not, as people usually are, by you know, our new disinterest in their celebrity, and that's always the most painful transformation. And I think it really says that the celebrity culture is finally, however much these things seem to be, you know, celebrations of the talent and the ego of a J-Lo or something, it's finally not about them. It's about contemporary culture, and it's about the person, the music, the acting, the persona that interests us at the moment. And the moment we lose interest, uh, and we're a fickle bunch, uh, we dump these people, however much we've revered them just seconds uh, before. Um, you know, it reminds you know, reminds me of that that famous line, "Whom the gods would destroy, they first make famous." Yes, that's a favorite quote of mine of yours. And and you think, gee, you know, it can't can't be any fun to be in that position at all. But in Martha's case, she hasn't been dumped; she's merely been displaced. And so we'll see. Uh, and it's going to be an incredibly difficult act of self transformation to incorporate the prison persona as it were the prison notebooks into her new uh her new uh her new public uh, personality why do you think as a, as a culture we have such a fascination with rags to riches and riches to rags stories well i you know my sense is everybody's engaged in an active transformation everyone's making themselves up as as they go along and so there's some sometimes a grim but uh, always an eager fascination in what's happening to the stars they are in a sense Whatever else is true about them, they're hyper acts of, of self-creation, and I think we're curious to know. You know, and really, Martha's fate is the one that the Renaissance took for granted, and that image of the wheel of fortune and this notion of fate turning on you in an instant and you being plunged from whatever heights you'd achieved, you'd be plunged in a position of new vulnerability or new modesty. Um, and we don't see that happen to stars while they remain in the glare of pub- publicity, so it'll be very interesting to see what... Uh, what she does with the hand she's been dealt. Our, our culture right now seems to have transformed into lots of distinct camps. I mean, obviously, we're very um, fascinated by rags to riches and riches to rags. Another fascination uh, that I think that we're dealing with now is red and blue, or red versus blue, or blue versus red. There seems to be this extreme hatred and hostility now for the different political ways of thinking. Why do you think there's this intense anger right now at political difference? Mm. Well, we certainly have lined up on either sides of the issue, haven't we? Mm-hmm. And it's not – I mean, I guess it's inevitable that we should have – that even mainstream differences 
should exhibit more difference than before is some measure of the extent to which we are as a culture uh, newly heterogeneous. So it used to be Democrats and Republicans, they, you know, they're mostly singing from the same song, songbook with some difference in lyrics and, and treatment. And now it's like different songbooks, and, and there's this conviction that the, the other just doesn't get it. They really have no clue what it is we stand for or that we stand for something or that they, you know, miss the larger issues that are now must be urgently addressed to save the body politic. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, to some extent that's a, um, an expression or a, a, a manifestation of the extent to which there's just more cultural difference, um, more cultural distance contained within our, even the mainstream of our culture. Well, and, and what's interesting to me, what was so um, shocking to me, really, about the choice of uh, the Academy Awards to appoint Chris Rock as, as the host this year was his extreme political views. And I would have thought that, you know, in a day and age where we have situations of wardrobe malfunction uh, creating such brouhaha when only, you know, 10 years before the media was celebrating itself over the fact that Dennis Franz could show his butt on TV right. and, uh, it, you know, how, how quickly things have changed. Um, it seems to me that that would have been an extreme risk to have Chris Rock come on the Oscars given his, his very you know, strong political viewpoints and his um, extreme eloquence at putting those forward. Yeah. Um, what do you, why do you think yeah. that they, they chose, aside from the obvious, you know, let's choose somebody that we think is going to bring in ratings, um, yeah. what, what do you sure. think was behind that, that decision? It's a, it's a great point. I mean, it's a great kind of paradox. And maybe part of the answer comes from the extent to which uh, the only thing that makes us more nervous than, than, than failing to achieve political correctness is, is bad ratings. <laughs> so anytime we have to choose between correctness and, and freshness, we go for freshness because that's finally as a culture. You know, we all claim to care about correctness. We all have different ideas of what correctness is. But freshness, that is to say, some departure from formula is, is, the, is the thing that makes all good movie-making design um, or award-giving uh, live. Um, you know, it has to have that sense of dynamism. It has to be a little bit unpredictable. You know, each of us actually lines up somewhere on that continuum from, I mean, some of us want absolute novelty, utter freshness all the time, and then you dial that all the way down to people who want just a tiny bit. But we, all of us, I think, in our culture want more than the typical hunter and gatherer wanted in the course of, a, of an entire lifetime. And that's really interesting. I, I found it so, um, actually, I found it rather sad that the television media was congratulating itself on the Oscars having um, only marginally less viewers than last year, uh, given the large leap uh, of viewers departing from the shows like the Grammys and the Golden Globes. What, what a culture where we're actually congratulating ourselves on doing worse than last year just because it's something that's better than the other losses that are occurring. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that there's a sense of a real need for reinvention in the way that we're participating in our relationship with mass media. But, I mean, here we are on an alternative medium, and... Uh... And, uh, you know, when you think about the proliferation of alternatives and the extent to which people now wish to be 
Um, you know, Henry Jacobs' great work at MIT tells us how much people now wish to be creators of the culture they consume as much as they are consumers of it. Oh, wait, you, oh, okay, after that I want you to go back to that statement, but I'm sorry to interrupt. Okay, um, sure. And uh, and so I think, you know, the the um, the awards offense, because not only is it not a movie that somebody else made, it's somebody else deciding who the stars are that ought to win the approval of the industry, so it's doubly removed from a participatory notion of culture. Oh, that's really interesting. So by, by those standards, I guess the People's Choice Awards would be the award show that should garner the yeah. most viewers, given that we're ostensibly in charge of making those decisions. Yeah, but still more compelling, and I'm sure when some people were supposed to be at the Oscars, is precisely what they would uh, were doing. Uh, we want to be at a conference talking to other filmmakers who are working on independent projects, and, you know, we want to be participating in this thing called culture, not locked out of it by uh, these very pompous. Uh, so I think even it doesn't matter how many Chris Rocks you bring in, it's a dying enterprise. It's a, essentially a pompous, exclusionary, aren't we marvelous kind of model, which in the long term has to, I think, uh, you know, can't can't last forever. Well, if we look at the if we look at these award shows as brands and these same very same celebrities as brands that tumble and fall and then have to be rebuilt then really this is on a trajectory downward wherein we are you know killing the very things we've created in an effort to have them you know rebirth themselves as phoenix you know to out of the flames yeah well there's that wonderful piece um from Michael Wolf I think it was in New York magazine about 3 years ago in which he talked about the movie industry, I'm sorry, the music industry, becoming like the book publishing industry. He said, you know, this notion that there will be a few rock, relatively few rock stars and, and their CDs in the world is really being displaced by a world in which you've got you know, thousands upon thousands of artistic creators out there. Uh, and in fact, the world of music might someday look like the world of book publishing, where you've got you know, tons of players, tons of creators, and, uh, and, and, and a very problematical distribution system that doesn't do a very good job getting all that product to, to market. Um, this is the market of the long tail, as it's now being called, and, and we do have, in the case of uh, the Internet and things like Amazon.com, a, a better way of, of connecting many, many cultural producers to all the cultural consumers out there. But that feels to me like it has to be, uh, you know, we can expect movies to continue to fragment in the audiences they're obliged to serve. Very interesting. Uh, we have to take a break now. Um, we will be back in just a few moments. I'd like to let everybody know that you're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am Debbie Millman, and my lovely guest today is the esteemed cultural anthropologist, Dr. Grant McCracken. We are having such a wonderful conversation. Please feel free to give us a call. If you have a question, the number is 1-866-233-7861. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages. Please don't go away. You're listening to The Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. Join Jane Curry and Diana Young every Monday at 8 a.m. for The Last Word. When you listen to The Last Word, you won't feel as though you're getting a root canal without anesthetic. And you'll leave every show with tips about how to write so you can get more promotions, make more money, and go home early. Learn how to add persuasive power to everything you write, from email to sales proposals, and get the praise and respect you deserve. 
So tune in and call in to The Last Word with Jane Curry and Diana Young every Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, right here on the Bottom Line of Business Talk, Voice America Business. Are you looking for a unique perspective on today's market from an experienced economist? Well, look no further. Listen to The Economic Contrarian with host Mike Norman every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Business America Radio. Mike and his guests will discuss new trends in the marketplace as well as emerging companies and opportunities. So if you want in-depth analysis from a contrarian point of view, don't miss The Economic Contrarian Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time right here on BusinessAmericaRadio.com. Do you find that technology is hard to understand? Tune in each week to Tech Talk with computer geek John DeVore. Every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific, John will let you know what is new and upcoming in the world of technology, as well as teach you some simple things to help you use your computer to your advantage. From gadgets to gizmos and PCs to PDAs, tune in and get high tech with John DeVore and Tech Talk every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Achieve total wealth management. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern on Business America Radio. Three-Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a values-based approach to comprehensive total wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road of financial independence. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, businessamericaradio.com. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On Managing Technology the Right Way, we'll talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its associated risks. Heard every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Sun Jogal, the host of Managing Technology the Right Way, will interview business leaders and other experts that have shaped the way we use technology. If you want to keep up with the changing world of technology, listen to Managing Technology the Right Way with Sun Jogal every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time right here on BusinessAmericaRadio.com. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Live from the Empire State Building, it is 3.32 Eastern Standard Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the only talk radio show on the air focusing on issues relating to graphic design, branding, and culture. I am Debbie Millman, your host, and my guest today is the cultural anthropologist, Dr. Grant McCracken. If you want to join our conversation or have a question for either of us, please call 1-866-233-7861. You'd think I'd have that number memorized by now, don't you, Grant? <laughs> but I don't. Um, before the break, we were talking about celebrity and culture. I'd like to talk a little bit more about culture in general. Um, Grant, one of the terms that you've coined is uh, the term cultural porousness. You refer to it as one of the intellectual challenges that face the anthropologist who wants to understand contemporary life. What exactly is cultural porousness, and how is it a challenge to you? I guess it's some, uh, you think about the way in which um, traditionally we've defined, um, say, race in America. You know, um, whites and, and African Americans were 
you know, the definitions that defined them were insisted upon and policed pretty carefully. And what we've seen happen in the last uh, 10 or 20 years is um, especially uh, white kids making off with some of the markers, some of the, the identity materials that have been created within the African-American community. With, you know, it's not clear that uh, this is a, a big improvement on on some of the stereotypes that used to exist, but it, it's certainly an astonishing cultural in, um, uh, development and, and an in, index, I think, of the new porousness. And some part of me always wants to unearth a, a racist from the 19th century and give him a glimpse of, you know, the last decade of the 20th century and say, you know, this 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 is what became of your your great hopes for for racist distinction. In fact, a kind of porousness now where you've got white American kids who can can do blackness with almost perfect fidelity. Um, and, of course, this gives rise to that postmodernist notion that resists all the ideas of, of essentialism that say, oh, white kids have to act this way and black kids have to act this way. Now we understand that it's all theater and that these markers of identity, once completely inalienable, are now things that we pass back and forth with, with some ease. And Go ahead. No, no, I was just wondering, it seems to me that when white kids take on African-American um, personality styles, that people seem to get really pissed off by that. I mean, you have to really be very, very good at it in order to have any type of um, respectability. But, I mean, even when Eminem came out, I remember people were like, who the hell does he think he is? Yeah. Um, why is there that skepticism? If, yeah. we're, if we're trying to be as a culture or if, if the desire is to be more porous. Yeah. Well, there certainly is that tension between authenticity and, gee, the, the communities that create certain cultural materials should be seen to own those cultural materials and nobody else can use them. That is, of course, you know, perilously close to the racism uh, these communities uh, wish to, to put behind us. So I think it's, you know, it's never a sound kind of, cultural strategy, but it, it certainly is a popular one. I think a guy like Eminem, you know, he was in a sense approved by right. various members of the Afro-American community, given their, their, their approval, and with their approval was, was accepted. Uh, you know, there has been, in a manner of speaking, a kind of transfer of African-American cool from a black community to a white community with, and this is the important difference, I guess, uh, the thing that wasn't happening in 1950s Motown, the beneficiaries now are often African Americans, and that's the indeed I think you know the the owner of Def Jam is worth worth a half billion dollars, and and that's because there was a lot of money to be made through the selling of hip hop to a, a white American community. And do you think that that's now why it's respectable and accepted? Do you think that it would have had any of the incredible popularity if it hadn't been something that was financially feasible? Um, no, I don't think it's driven by, I mean, certainly the market goes where taste and preference takes it, um, but my sense is this is just uh, something, you know, there's, a, there's obviously a tension here. Um, the hip-hop style, let's call it, was attractive to suburban kids, uh, largely because it had a kind of danger and street credibility to it. Uh, as it becomes merely an idiom that anybody can use, it, it loses that, that danger and street credibility and, and loses its power to attract new audiences. So, you know, there's a kind of wear out taking place. But uh, in the meantime, 
Um, some people make lots of money. Oh, yeah. Grant, we have a caller, uh, Clara from New York. You're on the air. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Grant. Hi, Clara. <laughs> um, I have a question that's been sort of puzzling me since the um, Oscars were aired. Chris Rock did a little montage at the Michael uh, Michael Jack um, Michael Jordan Theater. No, Magic right. Johnson Movie Theater. Yeah. Where he was interviewing African American audiences on yeah. what their favorite movies were. Yeah. And they were all kinds of various movies, none of which were um, nominated for awards, and some of them were, you know, movies like White Chicks. And I just wondered, you know, what, how did you feel that would be received with African American audiences, considering that the majority of the people watching the Oscars are not African American? Right. Um, I don't know. I just thought that was a bit of, uh, you know, he can play the jester. Uh, he can play the the liminal creature um, very nicely. And I thought that was a marvelous way of tugging at the beard of the Academy Awards to to remind of the fact that there are legions of people out there who never go to any Hollywood films, or mm-hmm. at least not the ones that, that are being approved of by the Academy. So um, I thought it was a nice bit of uh, of, uh, of mischief. Oh, okay. That's that's a good way of looking at it. What about Albert Brooks's uh, piece at the end of that? Yeah. Remind me what it was exactly. I remember his appearance, but not what he did. Yeah, he was asking him his favorite movies, and he said, you know, Million Dollar Baby and The Aviator. He said, but my number one movie of the whole year was White Chicks. And... Yeah. No, <laughs> a nice confirmation of the gag. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I actually thought it was really funny, and I thought it was wonderfully poking fun at the um, Hollywood glitterati. Do you think he'll be asked back next year to host? Oh, good question. I hope he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, we have to hope to God it's not, you know, a Johnny Carson kind of character or, or even a David Letterman. I mean, surely we've moved beyond that. Well, it's interesting how the – I'm sorry, um, our caller, I interrupted you. Do you have something else you'd like to add? No. Thank you for calling. Thank you. Thanks. It's really interesting in terms of talking about authenticity and um, personality and, and culture. You know, here was this effort, and we're going back to obviously talking about the Oscars, but here was this effort to bring it more to the people and have, you know, the um, presentations in, in the hallway, in the um, – in the seating um, so that people could be more, you know, involved in the intimacy of it. You know, that's, in my mind, not to not a way to make something authentic. What would have been more authentic would have been to allow Chris Rock to appear as Chris Rock and not Chris Rock dressed up in a tuxedo, um, but more, you know, Chris Rock as who he is. You know, if you want the personality, take the personality, but don't redress it and or, or clean it up in an effort to make it more acceptable to, you know, mainstream America. Yeah. Mind you, one of the criticisms brought against his performance as it was was that um, he was sufficiently solemn and ceremonial to properly honor the people who were getting the award. So to make him absolutely um, true to his usual persona would, would, would really have put his ability to honor people at, at risk, maybe. Yeah. Because you have to dress him up. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, this is you know being inauthentic to the Chris Rock brand. Right. Um, but, but on the other hand, you know, presumably he's got this kind of versatility. I yeah. think he's an amazingly versatile guy, and, and he's very good at selling whatever he's doing at the moment is the only Chris Rock he does. But then you'll see him doing other stuff, and you think, wow, well, that's the same person. 
they really have a kind of transformational range going on there. Well, speaking of transformation, um, I'd, I'd love to talk to you more extensively about where ideas and innovation come from and how we transform ideas into actuality. Um, can you share with our listeners some of your ideas about where ideas come from? Uh, sure. Um, I guess they're all, always, uh, well, actually, that takes me back to your question about cultural porousness. I mean, creativity always seems to happen to people in, in porous moments. And, in a, you know, corporations learned long ago that they can't hope for innovation as something done by committee. They have to take a group of people and stick them on the, the edge of the, the lot, as it were, and leave them to their own devices and kind of allow them to go feral if you want them to produce real creativity. So it's one of the... It's one of the, uh, we now have a, as a culture, an extraordinary appetite for creativity. It used to be kind of an optional thing, but now we know we run absolutely on, on, on a fresh supply and a constant supply of ideas. So the kind of porousness that used to be the exceptional thing that we did as people and as corporations now has to be something we build into ourselves and build into our corporations that, that we might continue to throw off the ideas that we need to sustain self and corporation and, and culture. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, I mean, I think that there have been a couple of marvelous new ideas that have in, impacted our culture in recent years, but it doesn't seem to me that there are a wealth of great ideas coming out of uh, corporate America in terms of impacting the way that we live. I think that what consumers seem to be looking for now is not a different taste or a different form or a different flavor of a brand, but really more about brands creating a difference in their lives. We talked a little bit about this last week. So I'm sort of constantly amazed at how many times I see another Me Too product in the supermarket or another Me Too book coming out or another Me Too television show. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, you know, the, the, the rarity of innovation on television right now, I mean, how many more reality TV shows are we going to have to see before or, or have to be subjected to before the genre runs its course? Yeah, no, exactly right. And I think that's some measure of the extent to which we're good at innovation, but but we're still as nervous as ever we were, and and so the temptation after a new innovation comes out is just to keep filling the pipeline. That of course kills the the innovation that's create that has been created and forces us on to novel novelty, as it were, perhaps faster than we would otherwise have been obliged to go. So things don't get a chance to run their course. It's die natural. Death, they get exhausted by this endless, uh, this hungry repetition to kind of hollow the thing out and not to leave any bit of value left in it. And then right. it's like six months later, it's like, oh, reality programming, no, don't make me watch another, don't make me watch another. Right. And yet, Mark Burnett's about to launch a, a reality TV show with Ms. Stewart herself. So here we come full circle in our conversation today. <laughs> <laughs> With great fanfare. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to need to take a break. Um, you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Melman on Voice America Business. I am Debbie Melman, and my guest today is the wonderful anthropo cultural anthropologist, Dr. Grant McCracken. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages. Please don't go away. From the stock market floor to your computer, you're listening to Voice America Business. One aspect of the American dream is a safe and decent place to live that fits within each person's capabilities. Based on the individual and the community, 
home have very many different meanings. Discussion on housing issues. Log on and listen to Let's Talk Affordable Housing with Ginger McClure every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. Join Jane Curry and Diana Young every Monday at 8 a.m. for The Last Word. When you listen to The Last Word, you won't feel as though you're getting a root canal without anesthetic. And you'll leave every show with tips about how to write so you can get more promotions, make more money, and go home early. Learn how to add persuasive power to everything you write, from email to sales proposals, and get the praise and respect you deserve. So tune in and call in to The Last Word with Jane Curry and Diana Young every Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, right here on the Bottom Line of Business Talk. Voice America Business. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, the Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, The Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk, heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of Business Talk, businessamericaradio.com. West Coast Business Review, your information source for connecting you to the business world. Your host, Amy Campbell, brings to you weekly informative guests from around the globe, giving you vital information on developing and propelling your business and career. Tune in on Business America Radio every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, where listeners call in live. Connect to West Coast Business Review at www.westcoastbusinessreview.com. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. Welcome back to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you would like to be a caller on the show, dial toll-free at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, that's 1-866-233-7861. And now back to the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back, lovely listeners. It is 3.48 Eastern Standard Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the Empire State Building in New York City. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the wonderful and esteemed cultural anthropologist, Dr. Grant McCracken. This is part two of our two-part conversation, and if you'd like to talk with us, please call 1-866-233-7861. Grant, I'd like to come back to talking about where ideas come from in a moment, but I do want to talk about the book that you have coming out in the spring, Culture and Commotion 2. Can you please tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, I have a bad habit of writing extended uh, like academic papers on topics like, in this case, homes and automobiles and celebrities and uh, museums, and then I just put them in a drawer and I kind of forget about them, and then I thought, oh, my God, you know, you've got to get this stuff into circulation. So, um, And I've added some materials on um, chiefly the, the kind of thinking that I did when I was at the Harvard Business School where I started to think about branding from a more kind of tactical um, point of view. So all of that makes a kind of culture and ends up being an extended treatment on the themes of culture and, and consumption and, and commerce and how those 
how those work together. Well, you, you do have an extraordinary range of topics on your blog, and for the listeners out there that might not be familiar with Dr. McCracken's blog, it's at www.cultureby.com, and it is a daily addiction, listeners. I mean, this is, you, you, one day you'll be reading about houses, the next day about music, the next day about pets, the next day about opera. It's an extraordinary Extraordinary, extraordinary blog, which I highly recommend our listeners reading. Self-indulgent. Why do you think that, Brand? Why no, do you I'm think that? Kidding. I'm just kidding. But it is kind of like, you know, and that's the good thing about blogging. I think left to, you know, we're all um, working together in this kind of uh, this cloud of discourse, people working on various topics, and it's uh, interesting. Uh, it's just an interesting exercise. We haven't, haven't figured out what difference it's going to make to what we think about and the way we think about it, so... That's all That's all good. Well, just in the last couple of weeks, you've written about the waning popularity of the great room in American housing to cultural innovation, to hip-hop music, to the 60th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz, to the death of Johnny Carson, to Disney's CEO, to identity politics. How do you manage to keep track of everything? Well, I don't think I do. I, I, I mean, I, you know, your head ends up being a little like a lazy Susan. You have a, a limited number of things that interest you, and any given day, uh, you find something in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, you know, Virginia Postrel's blog uh, that that prompts you to think, oh, there's there's a chance to address, you know, one of your favorite themes by by examining this topic. So that's the that's the idea. It doesn't make for sustained. It doesn't make for the same kind of sustained discourse, and that's why you know we don't know quite what difference this grammar will make to the what we think about and how we think about it. Well. Writing a blog has taken the world by storm. Um, you've been writing your blog for several years. It seems like the world of blogging just took over the entire world by storm about a year ago. Um, politics in particular, this past election, whether it be for good or bad, was enormously influenced by bloggers. Um, what happened? What was the tipping point in blogging? Hmm, that's a, a good question. I, I'm sure it's the syndication uh, engines that make it so easy to keep up with your favorite bloggers. That's got to mean the technology to the rescue. Because you know, when I first started blogging in 2002, there were just so many people. Everybody was writing, nobody was reading, and it was a great chaos, <laughs> you know, Tower of Babel. So, so we're saved from some of that now, though God knows some of that continues. Well, there are a number of design blogs uh, right now as well, obviously quite a lot of branding blogs. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about design in our culture. Um, recently, design was featured on the magazines uh, simultaneously, I might add, um, the covers of Fortune, Fast Company, and Newsweek um, as a huge influence now on the way Americans are shopping and, and the way our culture is, is changing. What happened? Why, why has design taken the center stage? I think it's one of the most potent ways to create meaning for the brand and for the for the product and ultimately for the the consumer. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, movies and music. We've got lots of meaning manu people who engage in meaning manufacture, and designers have always been key players there. In, in the new book, I look at Raymond Lowy's attempt to design a car in 1954 that that captured what Americans thought of when they thought about you know the the new social mobility and the new kind of national mobility. And, and he just missed it. And Detroit, bless it, found another way of, of, of speaking to that moment in, in American culture. Uh, and I think designers, you've got so many designers working on, uh, working on things 
that uh, that we have access to a huge pool of talent, and uh, you know, and eventually we get something coming through, like the iPod, or you know, it's always something that seems to us quintessentially who we are at the at, at the moment. Do you think the consumers really care about design? I think so. I mean, that's certainly you know, I was stunned to see a Target ad mm. about a, you know a couple of weeks ago in which they were selling design as their you know, it's their big benefit, and and the 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 peg on which they were going to to uh, spend uh, the target brand itself. So that's a huge development because I think design used to be something that were, you know, that was a kind of private enthusiasm, and most people didn't talk about the world in terms of design. But now that that's sort of democratizing, um, we may see still, uh, you know, when you've got the low end players, you know, it's when uh, design really hits Walmart that. Uh, when Walmart starts sneering at things that are, are mere commodities and demands some uh, um, design element, adding a value from a design point of view that uh, will really lift off. Well, it, putting your, your forecaster um, personality at the forefront, is, is this something that you could see ever happening, or do you think that, that this design bandwagon, so to speak, is just the it fad of the moment? No, I think it really is happening steadily. And you think about it in the 1950s when design was was modernism, and modernism was something you just didn't even begin to grasp unless you had at least a, a liberal arts degree and, and and some intellectual pretensions to boot. Uh, and now it seems to me design really is part of uh, you know many many corporations just take for granted the fact that you have to have really good design if you hope to if, if to have any hope of success. Well, Grant, thank you very much for your answers to all of my questions. It's now time in our broadcast for one of the show's weekly features, the Pop Culture Quiz. And this is a part of the broadcast where I ask my guests some questions about things that are going on right now, uh, off-the-cuff topics that I'm just curious about or obsessing. Some of them are multiple choice. Some of them are yes or no. So, so here we go. Um, what do you think is the most overused expression or phrase right now? Uh, it might be that one. Uh, <laughs> Blogging? <laughs> yeah. Um, golly, no, you've you've got me on that one. Okay, let me give you an easier one. <laughs> um, Batman or Joker? Oh, Joker. Spider-Man or Superman? Spider-Man. Sundance or the Oscars? Sundance. <laughs> okay, Nike, monolith or lifestyle subscription? Uh, lifestyle subscription. I have an anecdote there sitting on the plane. I don't know if we have time for this. Oh, yeah, yeah, we have an anecdote. We have anecdotal time. Do we? Sitting yeah. on a plane beside a guy who works for Nike, and I asked him about that wonderful uh, ad called It, where a guy comes out of a, is walking down the street in the city and realizes that he's it and everyone begins to run away from him. Oh, wow. I mean, they really started to do some... Uh, oh, and he was talking about this new approach they have called curation, where they dig down into the history of, a, of an activity like soccer and begin to unearth fragments that they hope will give the brand new authenticity. So it's a very interesting approach to meaning manufacture. Interesting. Well, talking about authenticity and manufacturers, Richard Branson or Bill Gates? Oh, I guess Branson. Yeah. Now, you asked me this question on the break, and I, I had a very sort of um, sheepish admission, so I'm going to ask you the same question. What book are you currently reading? I'm reading uh, the This is Burning Man by Brian Doherty. And is it about the Burning Man Festival? Exactly. Oh, is it? tell me a little bit more about it. 
Well, it's just a nice documentation of, uh, you know, and the question we have to ask ourselves is that event in the desert that is so so crazy by some standards, is it really just an event in the desert or whether and how quickly will the cultural innovations taking place there in the desert move into the mainstream? And I think everything we know about contemporary culture says that it'll be moving in in a hurry. So it's nice to get some advance notice. Oh, thank you, Grant. Well, folks, we have come to the end of our fifth broadcast, sadly. Brent, Grant, I could talk to you for hours. Thank you so much for My doing pleasure. the back-to-back shows. I'd really like to thank you for joining us and sharing your incredible intelligence and insight. I couldn't be doing this all without the kind and patient people at Voice America Business, Denise, Chris, Lori, my executive producer, Brian, and our lovely, lovely producer, Dion. I'd also like to thank the staff and my partners at Sterling, especially Lisa Grant, who helps me with everything. Please join me next week. I have a very exciting show next week as I welcome some bad boys of design, James Victoria, Michael Ian Kay, Armin Fitt, Mark Kingsley, and Petter Ringbaum for what will likely be a rocking conversation. Thank you, listeners. See you next week. Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.